At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Canadian landscape and nature photographer Zach Doler. Zach is a very successful and creative photographer with incredible editing skills, and I look forward to sharing this episode with you because he dives into chat GPT, AI art, NFT photography, how to edit your photographs efficiently, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Zach. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, thank you for, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Zach Doler. I also go by Calibrius, and I'm a professional photographer from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And you call yourself Calibrius, as you said? Yeah, it's a, a name I came up with uh, years ago when I started my photography account. So it was actually a, a name that I, I used when I was into video games a lot more often uh, as a younger teenager. And then I thought when I came onto Instagram, I should have something more unique. So I thought I'd use the name. But everyone always asks me, oh, what's the origin of your name? And then I explain it to them. And it's it's not always as exciting as, as some people think. But <laughs> at least it's it's different. It's different and it's catchy as well. It also caught my eye when I stumbled upon your Instagram profile. And I also wondered about it. So I think if you can keep people intrigued, that's a good thing. Yeah, very true. That's a good point. Let's start with camera equipment. What gear do you use? So I shoot with a Sony a7R4 as my primary camera. And I also have a modified infrared camera uh, as a 590 nanometer infrared Sony a7R2. I also shoot with a little Sony RX100 Mark V. I kind of try to keep on me at all times if possible. And I have a DJI Mini 3 Pro for my aerial work. And then for lenses, I shoot with a Tamron 17 to 28, 2.8, uh, Tamron 28 to 200, 2.8 to 5.6, Tamron 150 to 500, and a Sigma 85 1.4. That's a mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you said that you have a modified camera. What does that mean? I'm not as read up on the the lingo as I should be is I'm always using my infrared camera, but basically there's a few companies here in North America. I think they service worldwide locations. And basically you can send the camera in and they can modify it to be sensitive to infrared light. So it's a type of photography that I got into in late 2021 because my, my style is very focused on color and creating surreal landscapes and surreal scenes so i'm usually able to get my colors through my my regular non-modified camera but i stumbled across infrared photography and i thought that would be really cool to give a try because 
the colors that you can get with the infrared camera is really spectacular. Like you can take a relatively dull scene with not a whole lot of color, but then you can bring out so much color through the infrared camera because it just it just captures infrared light in such a unique way uh, that's entirely different than what we're used to seeing with the naked eyes. So I sent in one of my older cameras and I, I had it converted for infrared photography and it's been quite the interesting journey since then. That's really exciting. I saw one of your infrared photographs in which there were a lot of pink trees and I thought that they looked really beautiful and surreal and it's definitely a genre that a lot of people would be inspired by, I think. It's a lot of fun and I've been trying to share it more often because there's only a handful of photographers that I've seen that, that do infrared photography. And I think it's a type of photography that a lot of people would enjoy. Of course, it, it has a little bit of a a difficult entry point in the sense that you have to pay a fair bit of money in order to get a camera converted. And once it's converted, you can't really be converted back. But I think if you have a secondary body and you're not really using it, you're maybe just planning on selling it or just keeping it stored away, then it's a really great thing to do because then it, it just opens up the doors to so many more possibilities. I agree with you. Let's go back to the beginning. So you were 15 years old when you got into photography and your first interest back then was nighttime photography. What was the next genre that drew you in? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think the next genre that drew me in was probably probably a mix of nature photography and macro photography. So of course, I was a beginner and I wasn't necessarily very good at any of the genres I was trying at the time, but I got into nighttime photography because I was, I've always been fascinated by the universe, fascinated by the night sky. And I thought it'd be really cool to learn how to take pictures of it myself. So I had asked my parents if we had a, a DSLR because I, I did a little research at the time on the internet and I read that you needed this thing called a DSLR and I had no idea what that was, but I asked them if we had one and sure enough, we had this old Canon Rebel XT that was sitting around the house that I could use and could shoot manual mode and everything, which was great. So I started shooting the night sky with that and I got some very, very basic night pictures, but I still got some night pictures. So I was super excited. And then I just started photographing. Yeah, I just kind of trails around my house and fall colors, pretty much any random thing that would catch my interest. And then like some very, very basic close up photography, not even true macro photography, but just close up photography with my the kit lens. And what I loved about photography was that I could photograph such a wide range of different scenes and different subjects. But I could explore my own creativity and it also helped me connect with nature more and, and just get outside more and uh, to appreciate the changing of the seasons and, and the changing of conditions and lighting and how that impacts a photograph. Yeah, by that point, I was hooked. Sounds really nice. And I love what you mentioned uh, about seasons, because I think a lot of people prefer a certain season. But as a photographer, especially as a nature landscape photographer, you can appreciate something about every season. And that makes the whole year exciting. There's always something to look forward to, right? Absolutely. I won't lie. I definitely love fall for sure. Like fall is my favorite season. I find it's the season I get the most photographs that I like. But uh, it is true. Like it's amazing to watch a landscape change throughout the year. And it, I think it's so unique how seasons have such a huge impact on the world around us because it's like the world is a constantly generating art piece. So it makes photography much more much more interesting and, and fun. I completely agree. You found a lot of success in a lot of different ways, from selling NFTs to creating popular editing courses. I'm curious about the beginning of your journey as a full-time photographer. On your website, you mentioned that it was quite scary to make that decision at first. And what did the next few steps look like? Yeah, so when I first got into doing photography full-time, it was definitely a a bit of a scary start in the sense that I'd always talk about doing photography and getting to do what I love for work. I thought that'd be a really cool thing to do. 
And I'd, I'd tell some of my family and some of my friends about it. And I had some family and friends that thought, oh, yeah, that'd be so cool. And I could definitely see you being able to do that, you know, to become a full-time photographer. But of course, I had some friends and family who were like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, photography is not a real job. You know, you got to keep doing what you're doing. And of course, everyone had, has good intentions. And, and whether they were for or against it, you know, it came from a good place. But for me, I knew that the only way I would eventually go full-time with photography is if it could start out as a side business first and eventually replace my income from my my regular job. I wasn't necessarily going to jump into it full time without seeing some proof of consistency first. So I had started posting on Instagram in 2015 and then I started to grow an audience in 2017, which grew more in 2018. I think by 2018, I was starting to get small product deals. I'd usually do some photos for product companies and also do a little promotion for them. And then I started getting paid a little bit for that, which was really cool. It was kind of unexpected, but cool to finally be receiving some money for my, my photography, for my art. And then by mid to late 2018, I started getting into licensing my photographs to wall decor companies and printing companies. And I think around that time I started teaching. So because I started teaching my own courses and I also started licensing, uh, and there was a lot of these brand new wall decor companies that were kind of starting up at the time. So I was able to jump in on this wave of wall decor companies popping up on Instagram. So quite quickly, by early 2019, I started making an income from my photography and, and that income was more than what I was making from apprenticing as a plumber, for sure. And then also, it'd be about equal to what I would be would have been making as a journeyman plumber. So I was going to school for plumbing, but I really didn't enjoy plumbing because I'm not very mechanically minded. So it's it wasn't really something that I hopped out of bed really excited to do every every morning. And yeah, photography just ended up working out, making more money for me. But at the same time, it was also getting busier. And I was just having a, a hard time juggling that with plumbing and also other things that were going on at the time. So I thought I would take the dive into photography. And then if it didn't work out, I could always rejoin my dad and, and work with him doing plumbing later on. But of course, making that decision to go full time in photography was was probably the scariest part, especially because of just my worries of people's thoughts and, and reactions uh, within my my personal life. And uh, it wasn't the most popular decision. I had some family friends that were not impressed and didn't think it was going to last. But yeah, I'm going on four years now of doing it full time. So it's it's working out so far. I'm sure everyone is supportive now, right? Yeah, I think so. I think I think enough time has gone by that they're like, okay, this is this is working for him and he's not gonna give it up. So <laughs> might as well support him for it. Yeah, I understand that everybody in your family had good intentions, but at the same time I can understand also how you felt back then because you were so passionate about photography, plumbing wasn't really your thing. And I'm sure you wanted the support of everyone around you. So it was extra difficult because you had people who were trying to be realistic, who were trying to find other alternatives for you potentially. So I think it's something a lot of the listeners can relate to when they want to pursue something that is a bit more artistic. And then people try to change their minds because in their lives, that doesn't make sense. So yeah. it's a struggle for many people, for sure, especially in the artistic world. I think so, for sure. And you know, when you're doing it full time, like for me, when I went into full time photography, I, I didn't know anyone personally who had done art or done photography full time. So anyone that I knew that was a full time artist, full time photographer, they're all online and I didn't really have that connection with them. Whereas if I knew someone in person that I could talk to and, and ask them about their struggles and and the challenges that they face going into a full time, it probably would have been easier to not not feel discouraged because I definitely had those moments when I was. Uh, but I think for anyone who's considering 
going into art or photography full time and they were in a similar situation as me. You know, the biggest thing is just, you know, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. So if you're already seeing the results from from your job and from your work as an artist or as a photographer, and you you think it'd be able to support you, then if you're already getting those results, there's not really any reason why that should suddenly stop. So you know better than those around you who have absolutely no experience doing photography or doing art, and especially not as a career. So I think if you've laid yourself a, a nice foundation and you can realistically go into it full time for your work, then then go for it. It's kind of the ball is in your court at the end of the day, and you know best as opposed to, to those around you who will just have to learn in time that you're not crazy. That's very good advice. Do you have any tips that every photographer should keep in mind when editing their photographs? Three tips. There's a lot of tips that come to mind. I think a few tips that I personally use quite a lot in my photography, my photo editing. I love the calibration panel in Lightroom. So I find the calibration panel is a really wonderful way to kind of create your color palette for your photo. I primarily use the blue primary and I find that the colors that it, it creates within an image is, is really beautiful. So whenever people ask me how I get my colors, I always tell them calibration panel is a really big part of that because I wouldn't be able to, to get the color scheme and the color aesthetic that I have in my photos if it wasn't for the calibration panel. It's also very useful for learning about color theory and implementing color theory into your photography. Uh, there's a, a very popular, very talented photographer, Pat Kay, who has a, a great video on YouTube about using the calibration panel and how it is incorporated with color theory. He explains it way better than I do. So that's a that's a good watch if anyone's interested. The second tip, I really love using masking tools in Lightroom. And of course, same would apply to Photoshop too. I think masking tools is kind of the way that you can really paint on your image and, and kind of create your own very unique look to a photo. I find it's one of the most creative aspects of photo editing and post-processing. So making use of, of the masking tools and just playing around with it, you know, try to bring out the things in your photo that you really like and try to try to darken or try to remove aspects of the photo that you find distracting or unappealing it can really improve your compositions and a third editing tip would probably be to make good use of the tone curve for a lot of my students that i've taught or that i've taught rather they're often quite confused about the tone curve like when we're starting out the tone curve is probably one of the strangest looking tools and, and panels that we find in editing software. But if you can learn at least the basics of the tone curve and, and how you can really fine tune contrasts and micro contrasts through the, the tone curve, it can, it can again, just be that extra tool to, to add another level to your, your editing and just bring your edits together that much better. So I think those would be my three main tips. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of them. I think the calibration tool is also one of my favorites in Lightroom. And the tone curve, yes, looks very technical, looks like some kind of statistics. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a data graph, but it can definitely change your work very, very quickly if you know how to use for it. For sure. Absolutely. Do you primarily use Lightroom or do you use any other editing software? Yeah, I primarily use Lightroom. That's uh, been the case pretty much since I've started. I got into using Lightroom in 2016, and then I just kind of got hooked into using Lightroom from then on. And I definitely think Lightroom was a, a huge key into creating my colorful style that I have, because of course it gave me far more flexibility and possibilities than the, the more basic editing platforms I was using previously. I know for some photographers and some beginners, they don't really like the idea of, of paying for for their editing software when there's so many other editing platforms and, and uh, softwares available. But I think Lightroom is just such an incredible program. And it's so 
versatile and so powerful. And the fact that you can organize all of your photos within your within the platform as well is, is super useful. So I, I think it's worth getting the subscription, even if you don't want to, and at least tried it out for a few months. So I used Lightroom and a combination of Photoshop for quite a few years. I, I used Photoshop a lot, of course, for compositing and, and editing more than, than two images within one image. But I'd also used it for an Orton effect, too, to just kind of add a bit more of a dreamy feel to my photos. But in the past year or two, I've been finding myself editing in Lightroom most of the time. And then uh, for most of my single shots, I just edit in Lightroom. And if I I want to put a composite together, then, of course, I'll use Photoshop. But probably about 90% of my workflow is within Lightroom. That's really interesting. And I'm so happy that you found an editing program that works for you because I know that can be quite difficult to do, especially because there are so many options out there. You should be an ambassador for them because you primarily use their program. They should pay you for all of these promotional. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like that. <laughs> Let's put it out there. Maybe someone will listen to this episode who works for them. It sounds great. Contact me, Adobe, if you, if you hear this. <laughs> Outside of editing, what advice would you give to those who want to bring their landscape photos to life? I think one of the biggest things that helped me with my landscape photography and really improving my landscapes that I photographed was just being mindful of light, being mindful of conditions. I think it's most convenient to go out and shoot, you know, on a bright sunny day in the middle of summertime. And of course, it's it's beautiful for us. You know, we love a nice, uh, warm, sunny day with no clouds in the sky. But it's so much more challenging to get intriguing photographs when the when the light is harsh and there's not much context in the sky, uh, or perhaps the location you're going to is just filled with people. If you can pay attention to to light, pay attention to conditions. Try to photograph your scenes when the light is more favorable. You know, whether that's at sunrise or during golden hour or at sunset or maybe a blue hour too. I think blue hour is a a time of the day that not as many photographers make use of, especially not beginners. But when you're able to make use of those those times when, when the light is more intriguing and it's softer, more visually appealing, I mean you can take an ordinary scene and you can you can really make it look spectacular especially if you can combine that with nice conditions like some of my best performing work has has just been me going to a little local lake with some nice little reflections and there's a beautiful sunset and i'm able to go at the right time then the conditions and the photographs i can get sometimes will be better than boring conditions in a world famous location so if, if you can go where the light goes and you can photograph the light make use of the light it'll transform your photography that's wonderful advice and i completely agree with it for me as well i don't live in a famous city or a place where famous tourist destinations so it always helps to know that you can find beauty anywhere it doesn't necessarily need to be the most famous place in the world it can be a local lake can be a river just paying attention to light can make a very big difference absolutely yeah and i think it can can even be beneficial in a way if you're able to capture a beautiful photo at a place that isn't popular, you know, that not many people know of. Because, of course, especially when we're starting out, we all want to go to the, the super popular locations that we see on Instagram. But then it gets to a point where sometimes some compositions is just a, a game of, of copycat. So when you're able to when you're able to learn how light and and weather and conditions impact a scene and you're able to learn more about composition and framing your your photograph and bringing out those interesting elements that really capture your eye then the photographs that you can capture like you said almost any location as long as you have the the right factors that line up for you then sometimes those photographs i think for me personally i i tend to enjoy a lot more than the, the cliche photographs at the, the world famous spots. So it, it works out in, in uh, multiple benefits. 
Definitely, yeah. It's a nice perspective to have, and it's very uplifting, I think, for anyone who is into landscape or nature photography. Because, again, if someone cannot travel that much or they don't live close to a famous tourist destination, then they don't need to worry. They can find something beautiful in their area. Just need to be curious and travel and travel locally. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Earlier this year, you shared something personal with your audience. So because of the rise of AI-generated art, you briefly lost the motivation to take photographs, which I found really interesting. After experimenting with AI, you realized that it wasn't for you. And in that blog post, you said that while AI will just continue to get better and make even more perfect pictures, I really don't believe it will ever replicate the feeling of going for a hike, taking a bunch of pictures, and editing your favorite ones when you get home and sit at your desk for hours listening to music. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that lovely feeling of taking photos, just having that human experience. I think this is one of the best perspectives that I've ever read on AR, AI art so far. It's not pessimistic. I think it's it embraces AI without feeling resentful. And as helpful as it is, it truly can't replace the human experience of taking a photograph. Excluding AI art, are there any AI tools that have helped you in your photography or your business? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Before I answer that question, just, just with regards to, to that part of that blog post, I felt discouraged about AI art and, and photography because it was getting to a point so quickly, so rapidly, where it was able to create such incredible images. And I felt, what's the point of me, you know, hiking up a mountain and, and sweating and having to deal with bugs and mosquitoes and all that if I could just type a few words into my keyboard and make something that looks even better. But <laughs> as you mentioned, the, the more that I, the more that I experimented with it, the more that I played around with it, I just found the process very creatively unfulfilling. And, and, you know, of course, that's a very, personal feeling and, and personal perspective and maybe that'll change like right now with many of the popular AI art generators like Midjourney for example unless something has changed recently but when I was using it you can only generate the art within a discord channel on their discord server and I just found the the whole process from start to finish was super boring and very unintuitive and just not creatively motivating unlike of course, doing photography, going out, shooting a scene, coming back, editing the photo. It's just such a, a fun process that I've continued to enjoy for so many years now. So my whole perspective on AI is I would like to continue to do photography and I'd like to continue to keep photography as my focus and also to keep people motivated to do photography, to understand that there's value for photography now. I continue to believe there's going to be continued value for photography in the future. But I also don't want to completely shun AI because I think about photographers, for example, who shunned digital photography when film photography went into digital, started moving in that direction, or perhaps when Photoshop was introduced. You know, this is all this all happened when I was very young or, or non-existent, but <laughs> I've, I've read about the perspectives that photographers had at this time. And uh, those who were able to embrace the new technology and find new ways to, to use it in their their workflow and for their creativity, you know, those were the ones who really excelled and were able to keep with the times. And those who, who shunned it, you know, maybe they were still able to keep with keep with the moving train of technology, but they definitely probably would have limited themselves by completely shunning the technology to begin with. So my view of AI is it's an incredible tool. It's it's improved and it's changed so quickly and so rapidly in just the, this past year with language models and also generative AI. So for me, I want to I wanted to distinguish what is my focus, what do I want to keep my focus? And of course as I mentioned, that focus is photography. But then the thought is, well, how can I use AI to improve my photography or, or improve perhaps the, the mundane aspects of my workflow? So I use ChatGPT quite often. In ChatGPT 4, I'm not sure if it applies to, to 3.5 as well, but in ChatGPT 4, you can actually create custom functions and and like a custom profile for your chatbot. So within the settings for ChatGPT4, I've basically trained my 
chatbot to, in a way, be like a personal assistant. So a personal assistant and also a business coach too. So the the biggest thing that I, I know for myself that I, I wanted to have more help with was optimizing my business, trying to reach out into other industries beyond landscape photography and try to use my photography to capture interesting and captivating images for companies and for people, events. And I wanted to figure out you know, how can I market this well? How can I start diving into that industry? What would be the best way to, to do my outreach? So on and so forth. Uh, just a lot of business related questions. And I found AI and, and ChatGPT4 has been really incredible. And it's really interesting to see the personalization too, because it feels like I'm I'm talking to someone. You know, of course, if I were to hire a business coach, it would the advice that would be given to me would be better and it'd be more personalized. But I think AI can get a good way, good chunk of the way there for far cheaper than than hiring a, a coach or or a mentor. So I think if you can use AI to to give you new ideas, you know, maybe to help you with with things like your business or even help you with improving your photography, you know, giving you tips and ideas that you can try out. I think it's very useful. Uh, I also like, I haven't been using it much recently in the past few months, but when Photoshop's generative AI came out, uh, I played around with that. And I, I think that's a very fun tool, very interesting tool. Of course, that also, you know, brings in the question of, well, how much is too much? You know, how much generative AI fill can you use before you need to mention it or be transparent about it? Or should you be transparent about it regardless? And again, that's very, very much a personal perspective and personal questions you need to ask yourself. But for me, if I use generative AI in something, I'll usually put a disclaimer on, on Instagram or something. But I think even just for adding little small elements, it's really, really interesting. Like if you have a really interesting wide open landscape, Maybe you want to add a little more of a human touch to it. Maybe you add a little person far off in the distance. You know, it's not as cool as actually having a person there. I think that'll that'll always be more impressive. But uh, there's all these very, very fun and, and unique tools that we can play around with. So I think to bring it all together, my advice for people who are also concerned about AI, concerned about the future of AI, how is it, how is it going to impact our jobs and creative jobs if you can you know just recognize that ai is inevitable you know whether we like it or not it's it's being pushed through at a very fast very rapid pace so i'd say don't lose focus of what you're doing currently of what you're doing already and what you want to do in the future i think there's always going to be that interest and that that draw to human created artwork which I think is just going to become more and more clear with time because people in general, they connect with with humans far more than they connect with artificial intelligence. And I don't think that's going to change. I think people and humans are, are going to seek out that human connection even more. But I also think it's important not to completely shun the technology either. You know, if you can make use of it, leverage your workflow, then it can be uh, it can be a very useful tool as well. So. Just kind of finding that balance is the key. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialise in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.
Thank you for sharing your experiences and what a diplomatic answer. <laughs> kind of uh, respects <laughs> both sides, <laughs> makes good use of both sides. I like that you use chat GPT to your advantage and you have this custom you know, custom chat GPT profile that can help you as an assistant and can give you ideas and coach you. It's definitely a great alternative for a lot of people in general, I think, but especially people on a budget who can't afford coaching. Um, or who just want to experiment with different kinds of assistance from ChatGPT. So can you give me an example of something that it would help you with or some kind of advice that it's given you that has helped? Yeah, for sure. So I I believe when I trained it, I told it to try to give me information in more of a informal manner, but also in a very clear and, and easy to understand matter. So not having a bunch of miscellaneous fluff but try to make it very clear and precise as to what it's trying to tell me so sometimes what i'll do is is for example say i want more ideas for where i can diversify the business or where i should direct my energies i'll ask ChatGPT to to give me a list of of different industries and, and types of photography that i could potentially diversify into and i could grow my business and then ChatGPT will will make me a list but it'll it'll break up the list into what it thinks makes the most sense for me personally, and also what's kind of the path of least resistance. So at the top, it'll give me the the five different industries or five types of photography that it, it highly recommends me working on more and trying to get clients in. And then in the middle, it'll give me five more topics that it doesn't think are as important, but could have some potential. And then at the bottom, it'll give me five topics that aren't, aren't too important. Um, so that can be useful or sometimes what I'll do is I'll I'll plan out different ideas that I have and that just kind of come to me that I want to give a try. And then I'll I'll send all my ideas to ChatGPT. I'll, I'll just paste all into the box and I'll ask it what it thinks, uh, what it thinks about each of them and which one should I focus on? Because, of course, I don't have endless time, so I can't focus on all of them. And it can also tailor it that way, too. Again, looking at what it knows about me as a photographer, looking at what my goals are, what my financial goals all goals are, and then it will tailor the my idea list specifically for me and, and help me just to more clearly have a, a destination where I should go. So I found that has been very useful because I have a lot of ideas that come to me, but it's far more easy to come up with ideas and to plan out a strategy than it is to actually execute that strategy and, and start working on those ideas. I think that's a, a challenge most people face. So ChatGPT just kind of gives that, that extra clarification for me that allows me to start working on something sooner instead of having to think about all these additional variables and end up just overthinking it in the end. That's incredible. It basically gives you these formulas that you can experiment with and gives you more motivation as you said a lot of people can relate to the problem of not being able to execute certain ideas because they don't even know where to start so having an outline at the very least can be very helpful and very motivating absolutely yeah in another blog post you wrote about the power of sharing your process with other people you said that when you showcase to people those behind the scenes moments to your photography it brings your work to an entirely new level, and I completely agree with that. What advice would you give to people who want to get better at connecting with your with their audience? Yeah, so I've been I've been pretty quite recently trying to work on this because my approach to Instagram and my approach to social media ever since I started was to just share my pictures, just to, you know, share pretty pictures and hope that people connect with it. And for many years, that worked really well, especially especially from 2016 till 2021. It worked very well in the sense that algorithms really liked pretty pictures. If you had a picture that people engaged with, it was pretty pretty easy at the time, providing that you were consistent to get a lot of reach and to get those pictures out to a large audience. But with the rise of TikTok and, and the rise of of course, Instagram copying TikTok and starting with their reels. Instagram really, really started pushing reels in like 2000, 
2021. Because of that, the algorithm I found ultimately changed. And I think TikTok and Instagram Reels and, and just short form video content in general ultimately changed the way that we as humans and as social media users consume content. So years ago, posting pictures worked really well. But now if you only post pictures, it's more challenging to get your photos out to your audience and even to get it out to your followers. I mean, most photographers have expressed that only a small fraction of their following sees their photos. And I find the exact same issue now. So because of that, I've been wanting to get into doing more behind the scenes content, doing more short form video content. But again, it was one of those things I just always kind of procrastinate on doing, especially because I just love photo editing, but not so much video editing. But with the rise of AI and now pretty pictures and incredible art is incredibly easy to make. All you need is a, a phone connected to the internet and uh, access to an AI generator and you can make an amazing image with just a few words in your keyboard. I think now more than ever, with that shift to short form video content and then also this rise of AI, showcasing what goes into your photography and, and helping your audience connect with your photography more is going to be a really big key, I think, to ultimately to growth and, and just to building an audience that can connect with your work. Lately, what I've been trying to do is is record POV content. I've been seeing quite a few photographers occasionally in the landscape community, but also in other other communities like uh, the automotive photography community or the portrait community. They'll just, you know, slap on a GoPro and then just record themselves as they're taking photos. And it's a very simple way to show that behind the scenes. But then it just allows people to see the type of location you're shooting in and it allows them to see your thought process to when you capture a photo, the composition, the elements that you're trying to photograph, uh, all the different things that you're you're thinking as you, you take that image. And then also to see a bit more of the behind the scenes to the editing process. I think just adding that extra level uh, for us as photographers, because of course we're so used to our own personal process, we don't think it's anything too special. But when you're able to share that with with your audience, it's something so new and so interesting and exciting for them because no one else sees our process the way we do. So we might think it's boring and, and uninteresting, but for those that, that look at our work and follow along with our work, that can really help people to grow an appreciation for it and also help them to distinguish that, especially if you're trying to primarily be a photographer and, and not go into AI. I think having that behind the scenes content and showing more of what goes on behind the process, it just helps people continue to make the connection that what they're seeing on their screen is not AI generated. And it's actually a photograph that you planned, you went to, you traveled to, you photographed, uh, you processed, you know, it helps them to realize that all the work that goes into creating a, an interesting photograph. That's really clever because, as you said, it kind of proves that you are the owner of that photograph. It shows the viewer a very clear idea of the process, the editing process, or even just the shooting process. And it can be very helpful because people do want to take better photos. And the things that we think are simple can be a discovery for somebody else. And I realized this in my other hobbies, like drawing. Sometimes there's something simple that is complicated for me. And I'll watch a video from someone else and that topic is laughable to those experts. But <laughs> to me, it's a new discovery. It's so exciting because I don't know anything about it. So it's very important to keep people who are learning in mind. They literally exactly. don't, they don't know anything about this specific subject. And your perspective could really help them, could open their eyes, could inspire them. But it's really difficult to overcome that, I think, because we do take our own skills for granted, especially when we are so used to doing the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I agree. Earlier, we talked about modified cameras and infrared photography, and your portfolio does feature some really beautiful and surreal infrared photographs. What advice would you give to people who want to get into this genre? Do they need to modify their cameras or are there lenses they could use? Is there anything else they should keep in mind when getting into this genre? 
Yeah, so anyone who's asked me about it, there are, like, in, in order to truly do infrared photography, you do need a modified camera that is sensitive to infrared light. But there is a way to get into infrared photography without having to make that jump. Because, of course, in order to modify a camera, when I modified my my full-frame Sony Sonar 2, for example, and I sent it in, I think in total it cost me around... 600 Canadian that's around 450 US or so and it's it's pretty expensive and it's expensive too in the sense that you're taking a, a camera body you're converting it for infrared and once you've converted it for infrared or you've converted it for full spectrum it's not really recommended to go back so it's kind of a one and done type of of operation on your camera so for people who are interested but they're hesitant to make that jump what i recommend is getting an infrared filter that basically you just just screw onto your lens of course like like uh, other filters and it looks like an nd filter i haven't used one personally but it basically used looks like an nd filter it's quite dark but it makes your camera kind of more like it allows you to, to photograph infrared light in a way I'm i'm not entirely sure how it works the results aren't going to be the same as a modified camera, but you can you can basically screw on this filter, and then because it's so dark, you will need a tripod. But you can take your camera out, take your tripod with you, and go shoot some lot exposure infrared photos. That can be a great way to to give it a shot, you know, see what you think of it, and see if it's something that you'd be interested in. And then you could perhaps jump into to the boat of modifying your camera. The nice thing too with modifying your infrared camera, and this is what I will personally do next time I do another infrared camera modification, uh, which probably will be sometime soon as my A7R2 is is starting to, <laughs> a lot of the buttons are starting to not work. I recommend just converting for full spectrum. What The problem that I did is I, I did a full spectrum conversion, but then I also went with having the infrared filter for the specific spectrum that I shoot built into the camera. So this is really convenient in the sense that my camera itself is already ready to go for 590 nanometer infrared photography, which is a very popular spectrum. I can slap on a lens, and I don't need to use any filters and it's good to go. But the problem with that is my camera is only a 590 nanometer infrared camera and I can't shoot any other uh, spectrums of infrared light and I also can't shoot full spectrum either. So a lot of astrophotographers love using full spectrum cameras because it gives them better results at light at, at night. It, it just allows them to capture more light in the, the same time of exposure. And a lot of infrared photographers like to go between different infrared filters and infrared spectrums because uh, you can just get different ranges of colors and, and contrasts and all that. So if you choose to modify your camera, go full spectrum and then just purchase the, the screw on filters for full spectrum cameras. So just not just to clear up any confusion, those screw on filters are different than the, the screw on filter I, I talked about at the start, which is primarily for non-modified cameras. But for a modified full spectrum camera, you can then purchase filters that have different spectrums, different wavelengths. And then you can shoot a, a wide range of uh, of different infrared photography. And if my knowledge is correct on this, I believe you can also get a filter that actually allows you to shoot your full spectrum camera as a regular camera too. So that's also pretty handy. You will still have to screw it on your lens, but then it basically cancels out the the full spectrum and, and the infrared side of your your camera. So it just gives you a lot more versatility and uh, opens up the doors to to more forms of photography, basically. So that's that's the way to go if you decide to make the investment. Absolutely fascinating, and it's so exciting to know that there's a whole genre out there that has its own community and its own modification system, its own lenses and and filters, or to be more specific. It's really exciting, especially to someone who is not too familiar with it. I myself have only seen infrared photographs. Like, really didn't know how it all worked. So thank you for enlightening me and hopefully enlightening some of the listeners as well. 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for asking about it. You've also found quite a lot of success in the NFT industry, which can be a little controversial, just as uh, AI art is controversial. In an interview yeah. with 500px, you said that it's important to not raise your expectations too much when starting out, which I think is good advice. As you said, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. When building an NFT portfolio, what should photographers keep in mind? Is there a style or a genre that's more suitable for this industry? I think one thing I'd like to mention with regards to NFTs to start out with, uh, I think when most people hear the word NFT, they they all automatically think it's scam. You know, it's, it's NFTs are a scam and they're a scheme and all this stuff. And I, I totally understand because unfortunately, as with any unregulated market, you're going to have bad players that come in and take advantage of people. And in 2021, when I had the most success with NFTs, was definitely when it was by far the biggest bubble. And since then, that bubble has burst and it's a very slow market. But the digital art community and digital art collectors within the NFT community is really so different from the vast majority of NFTs that are out there and that people you know, tend to think of. Again, most people tend to think of the, the cartoon animal pictures and they think about all the money people have lost or maybe the money people have made and a lot of that is very very scammy and kind of a get rich quick kind of idea so it's not really much of a surprise that 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 bubble bursts especially with the changing economy but i think the technology for digital art and for collecting art is really incredible because one way of how i try to to describe it to to people who don't know too much about NFTs is for art collectors, for example, that collect, you know, beautiful paintings. And maybe these paintings, they've spent, you know, a million dollars, five million dollars, 10 million. A lot of these paintings, of course, there's many high quality paintings and, and valuable paintings in museums where there's a lot of protection, all that. But for private art collectors, a lot of these paintings and these art pieces that they collect, they don't really get to see the light of day. Like they basically have to keep them stored away in a in a vacuum sealed airport art vault, and it has to stay in there because it's the only way to keep these these pieces insured. You know they can't have it hung up in their their house or being able to enjoy it, but also to know that they they have that value protected. So I think NFT technology and blockchain technology is really interesting in the sense that. You know, as the world moves more digital, we can, you know, instead of perhaps purchasing a big print, you know, you can have a really high quality display that you can, that's highly color accurate, highly detailed, you know, you can control the brightness of it. And then you're basically able to have an illuminated print, like an illuminated metal glass print that you can change and you can swap out with different art that you've collected. And with NFT technology and blockchain technology, you can you can basically own that digital piece within your wallet. You own it from that artist who was able to create and mint it specifically from their wallet. It has their digital signature to it. So you can get to enjoy this piece at your home on your digital display, but you don't have to be worried about something happening, like a fire, for example. Because if, say, your your house were to burst into flames, uh, your your art would still be protected because it's all held on the blockchain. So that aspect of it is probably what still keeps me optimistic about the future of, of NFTs. Right now, there are still collectors who are collecting art, primarily from bigger artists. It's more challenging for, for the majority of us. Uh, I haven't found much success in the NFT community for most of this year because it's just such a it's just such a slow market in a slow industry at the moment but just as crypto has cycles i personally believe that nfts will have cycles and i think as the whole art market as a whole moves more digital you know we saw we see christie's and sotheby's you know big auction houses moving digital going into the nft space and and working with these digital artists you know i think it's a really interesting and and intriguing technology to just kind of keep tabs on and uh, kind of follow along with. So 
again, when people have hesitancy and, and worries about NFTs and they want nothing to do with it, again, I understand. Uh, but I think it's important just to just to separate digital art and the art community from, you know, the rest of the kind of scammy NFT projects that most people think of, because the technology in itself is really interesting. And I think the, the community and the collectors and the artists are really cool as well. So back to your original question on creating a portfolio within NFTs, I think if you have a unique and beautiful body of work, I think regardless of the type of genre or or the type of medium that you use, you can find um, some success within NFTs when the market is, is good. So I think the biggest thing is just, just minting your best work and uh, getting your best work out there and really trying to tell the story of your work, um, getting involved in the community. I think that the NFT community is still the strongest on, on Twitter, I guess now called X. Uh, so that's been the, the biggest help for me was just getting on into that community early on and kind of catching on with those trends before it was becoming more mainstream. So I think if it's something that you're interested in, I don't think you need to feel rushed because, again, the market is very slow. I'm not devoting much time to it currently. I still share my, my work on X, but I know that it's a, a more challenging market to sell art. So I have my pieces available, but I'm not really minting new pieces at the moment but i think if it's something that you're interested in i highly recommend getting into the community learning more about it learning more about the technology and then maybe just minting a piece or two it's um it's very cheap right now like the gas fees are quite low and in order to do so so uh, i don't think it's something worth devoting all your attention to but i think it's something to definitely keep an eye on because i can see it having the same, if not larger success in the future, you know, whether that's next year, two years from now, five years from now, I have no idea. But I know for me in 2021, getting to sell to these really big collectors who just love collecting art. That was a really cool thing about the art community as well, is you have all these collectors who most of the time had, had made a lot of money from cryptocurrency and from trading. And they just want to purchase art from artists and they're, they really don't care about, uh, you know, getting rich or making a quick flip or whatever the case. They just want to invest in artists for many years to come. I think it's really, really cool. And it was so nice to be able to just mint my work in 2021. And pretty much most of my business was just selling my digital work. It's very creatively fulfilling and freeing when you you're not worrying too much where your next paycheck is coming from. You're just making more art, selling it to, to art collectors. It's it's pretty cool. So I I, uh, I want everyone to, to have a taste of that. So definitely worth keeping tabs on. Definitely. Yes, I completely agree with, with what you said about cycles. I think everything goes through cycles. And your answer emphasized the importance of really connecting with your audience. So you mentioned X. I think Instagram as well, you share a lot of photographs and you write about the process. Earlier, you mentioned your POV videos. So people really have some kind of relationship with you as a photographer. And because of that, they are more willing, I think, to purchase your work and to have the, your images in their collections. And I certainly have photographers as well whose work I would be more than happy to buy to just hang up on my walls physically or have in the digital collection. And it's only because I know their process and I really respect what they do. So it's so important, I think, to, if possible, to share more about your process, to connect with people on a deeper level, almost like a friend, I guess. Absolutely. Totally agree. I, and I think that's, it's the way things are moving. You know, again, as I kind of mentioned earlier with AI, people are going to be more and more drawn to the human connection and I think in general, people are going to be more drawn to personal brands and they're going to want to get their information more from individuals, you know, whether that's in, in information about what's going on in the world or perhaps just information on a type of activity or a hobby that they enjoy. Um, people are going to connect with that more and more as we move into this this artificial age of intelligence. So making use of that connection is is so important. Definitely. And how can people find you online? Yeah, so my primary social media platform that I use is Instagram. 
And on Instagram, my username is Calibrius. And uh, I'm also on X, of course. My username on there is Calibrius with an underscore because someone else has Calibrius. <laughs> and I'm also on on TikTok. I'm trying to share more video content on there. Also Calibrius. Uh, I'm on Threads. Also Calibrius. So just about everywhere. I'm, you can just search up Calibrius and you'll, you'll probably find I, I have some type of a presence there. <laughs> I think so it's good smart. to have a consistent username, right? People can find you anywhere just by typing in your name. But tell me more about Threads. How has that helped you as a photographer? Yeah, Threads has been interesting. I've um, a lot of people have talked about Threads being dead and that that no one's using it now. But I haven't really found that to be the case. I think it's I think it's been a great platform. I haven't necessarily gotten uh, any work through there or sales to my knowledge, but I find that the engagement is really good. It's by far the best ratio of engagement that I get across platforms. So like just as an example, I, I posted a road shot on threads that I also posted on Instagram. On Instagram, I have 162,000 followers. I posted this road shot and it got maybe 1,200 likes. Uh, I posted the same photo on threads and I have maybe 10,000 followers on threads and it got I think close to a thousand, maybe 900 likes. So the engagement ratio is really good. And I also find that there's a lot of photographers that use it too. So I don't know. It's a very, it just feels like a very authentic, genuine place to, to share art. And like what I try to, to tell people who, you know, share their work online and are trying to grow their social media presence. Yes, it's much more challenging now to have a post do well as opposed to a few years ago when the algorithm would would push anything that was appealing to any degree. But I think a good way to combat poor reach or poor engagement is just to post on more platforms. So I've just been trying to get into the habit of when I go and I share a photo or share a video, I try to share it across as many platforms as I can at the same time. Uh, and that just kind of leverages your your reach because the vast majority of people are not going to see that photo on multiple platforms because there's so much content that they're seeing on their feed and and so much content that's being recommended to them. So I just try to use threads as an additional tool to to get my photos out. And, and so far, it's working pretty good. I, I think it's a I think it's a good platform to use. And you never know, it might it might continue to grow, especially with all the changes that Elon's constantly making to X, I, <laughs> I feel like the future is very unpredictable there. So Threads is a nice alternative, you know, if you want something that's quite consistent with Meta and, and Instagram, which of course is another conversation to be had, but it's just another platform to use, I guess that's the, the best way to put it. Yeah, thank you for talking about that. I think it's important because it is a relatively new platform and a lot of people aren't sure about it. But if you are finding that there's more engagement there compared to Instagram even, and that it has potential, then it's definitely worth looking into. And now I'm inspired to download it and see what all the hype is all about. So thank you for sparking that awesome. interest. <laughs> no problem. Zach, I have one more question for you. And that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I don't know if my... My aspirations are, are too low if I should have bigger goals. But honestly, if I can just continue to do photography for work, whether that's landscape photography or, or product photography or brand photography, whatever the case, uh, if I can just continue to do photography, continue to inspire people to try photography and to to really get enjoyment out of photography, connect more with their subjects, whether that's other people or the outdoors or nature, I think that's the biggest goal for me. Just to just be able to keep going and, and keep inspiring others to do the same. It's a very relatable goal. And I'm sure that you will continue doing what you love because you're very good at what you do and you're very generous when it comes to sharing your knowledge. And I just want to thank you. First of all, listeners don't know this, but Zach woke up at 7 a.m. <laughs> Actually, you woke up earlier, right? <laughs> He, yeah, I love it earlier. <laughs> yeah, he was available at 7 a.m. his time to speak with me. So shout out to him for that. Thank you for taking the time to do this with me. But I really appreciate all the wisdom that you shared. I learned a lot and I wish you the very best with your journey. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was it was uh, great. 
really nice to be here and and you had really excellent questions and great research so it was a very enjoyable conversation worth getting up at 7 a.m for which is really not that early but for me i'm I'm always used to sleeping in so of course (laughs) i sound pretty lame when i say oh i had to get up at 7 a.m but it's all good No, no. Thank you. I appreciate your kindness. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I personally learned a lot from Zach, and I hope that you did as well. We dove into many different interesting topics, such as NFTs and AI and social media. So I hope that you are inspired to try something new in your photography today, or to passionately pursue your dreams without worrying about other people's opinions. It would mean a lot to us if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We have a link to our supporter page in the description. That is photographycourse.net slash supporter. So if you want to help us out, please click on that page. You'll see a link to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Every single review means a lot to us. So it would be very much appreciated if you could take some time to write something about our show and let us know if you enjoy listening to it. Thank you very much and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.